Welcome to your dog cast, where we feature news just for dog lovers. Here's your Rover reporter, Mary Lou Davidson. Hey, it's Mary Lou Davidson. I'm the Rover reporter. And today I'm excited to be talking to Penny Claus. She is a veterinarian. She's been in practice for more than 30 years down in Texas. And she has some stories to tell, great and small, about treating dogs through the course of her career. But what we're going to focus on is people and your first trip to the veterinarian when you have a puppy. Hey, Penny, thanks for joining us. Thank you for inviting me, Mary Lou. This is so fun and something uh, I think we've always wanted to talk about because, you know, you get a puppy and usually the first visit will be the last round of puppy shots. And so you're so excited to bring your new puppy in. What kinds of things do pet parents need to know before their first visit and what should they bring? We would very much appreciate if uh, pet parents uh, would bring in any previous records um, from either other vet visits or from where they purchased the puppy. Um, That helps us fill us in with the history of what has been done, and that way we can use that as a framework and what we would recommend on going forward from that point. Um, Because sometimes when we see them, um, they haven't had shots and they thought they had, or they didn't have all their shots and the the owners are are thinking they already were caught up. So just having that information, because we don't want to give them more shots than they need. So the paperwork is key. Exactly. And I I would imagine that when people have a puppy, they're really curious about the size and, you know, (laughs) how big do you think he's going to get? Is that a pretty common question? It is. And um, now if you, if you have a purebred, that is a little bit easier to answer, but not exact because there are differences between male and female And let's say, for example, chihuahuas. I've seen chihuahuas that grow up to be like two pounds, and I've seen some that get up to 15, and that's without being overweight. So there's variation even within a breed. And when you're talking about mixed breeds, um, then if you know kind of what's part of that mix, you might be able to make a rough determination. But I always tell owners, time will tell. Sometimes we get, get fooled either being larger or smaller than what we expect. Sure. When people bring their dog in to see you, is it usually just the mom, just the dad, or do people come in pairs? Mm, I would say about 25% we see the couple, sometimes the whole family. Yikes. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it gets crowded in the room. Um, but uh a lot of the time, I'd have to say the other 75% is one or the other. And it seems to be a high proportion men. We see a lot of women, but we, we do see a lot of men. Okay. When they do come together, do you recommend that they decide in advance that one or the other will lead the conversation with the vet and the other should remain silent <laughs> or, or do they both chime in? Oh, I have seen, <laughs> I have seen both of them chime in. I have seen them kind of start, especially if we're dealing with a, a sick dog, 
yeah. pointing fingers at each other because of what the other one did. And that's where it's like, we're caught in the middle. And it's like, I'll tell you what, you all just kind of work this out. We'll be back, you know, to right. finish the exam. But um, it would be wonderful, not only in the exam, but if a pet has to be hospitalized, that there would be a contact person um, because uh, uh, that way we can streamline the visit better. And uh, of course, you know, questions are always welcome, but it is something that um, in a routine visit, hopefully those are decided beforehand. Lists. Lists are wonderful. Write things down that you want You want to make sure you ask, you know, because I have a lot of people that forget things <clears throat> that they wish they had asked us. But that would help streamline it, too. But if a pet is sick and hospitalized, just having one person. Otherwise, we are inundated with calls from all sorts of people, you know, family members, you know, that we can tell about the, the pet. We have to be careful, you know, who we converse with. But that, um, that you know, I've had one family member call after another, and each one wants to hear the same thing. And uh, it's we don't want to be rude and say, well, we already talked to so-and-so. But that's why it'd be nice if, if somebody was just designated. For sure. A primary contact would alleviate some of the pressure on you. Yes, and streamline things. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, in terms of giving medication um some dogs are easier than others uh yes. how do you handle it if someone says you know i need help with my monthly flea medication or my 90-day brevecto whatever the product is is that something that you offer to assist with yes we do um we we want to make sure especially with routine med medications like that that the pet is getting giving it or getting it, excuse me. Um, and so our techs, um, you know, uh, we do have the owners bring it in, the techs give it. Um, there are a few cases that I can recall to stop the bat where that worked for a while. Then after a while, the, the, um, the pet got too aggressive, you know, for us to get the medicine. And then you start talking about other forms of it to try to do what we can to help um, prevent them, you know, from these things. Right. And, and I personally um, have a dog that is, I wouldn't call him aggressive, but he's really not about socializing with other dogs. Yeah. And it's a little bit of an embarrassment, but mm -hmm. uh, rather than risk an incident, um, I always call ahead or back in regular times when we actually went inside. Right, um, right. I called ahead and they would open up another door and I would go through that door and sort of clandestinely get into our exam room. And yes. yeah, I was embarrassed a little bit about it, but I felt that it was worth it for the safety of my dog and everyone else. And that's good. I'm, I'm glad you had that viewpoint that you needed to, um, you know, take those steps and you're not the only one. So, um, you know, i Dogs are dogs, and they're going to act the way they want. Um, and we have some control over that, but not entire. Uh, we do see a lot of dog aggressive dogs. Mm -hmm. And uh, by assuring that, you know, everybody's safe, uh, you're, you're being a great pet owner uh, in that. Because we, we do have some pets that come into our clinic where 
you know, we, we've got to make sure that, you know, uh, we don't have anybody out in the lobby, um, that we can get them right into a room. And when they leave, we go and check for the owners, you know, to see if they have a straight shot to the outside. Um, right. So that, that just helps keep everybody, you know, uh, safe. And it's, and it's very appreciated. Yeah. And so I'm really kind of just saying this so that people aren't embarrassed and mm-hmm. and don't imagine that this thing, this time it's going to be okay. It's better to be safe than sorry and just you, take that extra step. You bet. Yeah. Uh, can I kind of add to that? Absolutely. Please, please. If there's ever been any history of your dog being aggressive or biting someone, Please warn us. Um, I don't know how many times I've been bit or one of my techs have been bit or a kennel worker. And the owners laugh it off and say, oh, yeah, he's done that before. Oh, my gosh. That's terrible. Uh huh. And if I mean, a muzzle does not hurt the dog. And some people, for whatever reason, thinks it does. But um, believe me, it's a lot better to be safe than sorry. And not only for us. I have seen dogs get so aggravated and the owners try to step in. The owner gets bit because they can get to a point where they don't care who they bite. They're so angry. Right. Um, so it's not just for us muzzling them. It's for the protection of the owner as well. Right. The other thing I wanted to just bring up is we have a, a dog that, you know, has hurt himself or has gotten sick or there's something mm-hmm. wrong. And a lot of us have the mindset that it's kind of like when your car isn't working right, you take it to the dealership, you leave it, it gets fixed and you then you pick it up. And so we take our sick dog to the animal hospital and we walk away thinking, well, hopefully when I pick him up, everything will be fine. But really, it's a veterinary practice right and so Uh we're looking for the answers but you don't have a magic wand exactly and um you boiled that down very well um uh because we do run into expectations that far exceed reality um, when it comes to that um the the we're dealing with living systems that don't read a book in a lot of ways. In other words, the equation isn't one plus two equal three. One plus two, depending on the symptoms, could equal any range of possibilities. Um, So um, in evaluating a hurt or sick pet does take a, um, I kind of describe it like uh, getting pieces to a puzzle. Um, You know, the history is one piece, the exam is another piece, and then generally, depending on what's going on, you know, you need x-rays or lab work or something to go to try to fill in, you know, the picture so that we know more about what we're dealing with. Right. Unfortunately, there are some that are very health issues that are more complicated, and it takes getting more pieces to that puzzle, therefore more workup you know, and diagnostics and, you know, treatments of some sort. Yeah. And veterinary medicine has just evolved so immensely in the last, even in the last 10 years. Yes. With mm-hmm. diagnostics and, and yes. so on. It's great. Um, mm-hmm. 
for us as owners to be able to actually have a solution. But I know it must be um, tough on your part because those things all cost money. And, you know, it's not um, a public service. So Mm -hmm. dealing with the economics uh, with pet owners must be tough, too. It is. um, And, you know, we understand um, that with especially with really sick dogs, and it's, it's getting into really complicated type situations that people have finances to um, consider. Um, And in that, I usually recommend, I'll tell the owner what should be done and then see what can they do. And then just try to work with what tools the owner gives me to try to help the the pet as best as possible. And I warn them too, you know, uh, not being able to do certain things, we're still going to be a little bit unknown what we're dealing with. And because of that, we don't know the full prognosis. But um, something that um, I don't know if uh, pet owners are aware of is uh, the pet insurances that are out there. Um, They are gaining ground. They seem to be helping uh, a lot of people. I see a lot of clients that they're glad they have it because they're able to use that to help them. And there's uh, third-party type uh, payers like that. Care credit. <clears throat> it's kind of a health-based, you know, credit card that that also helps give uh, some owners a little more wiggle room to try to help their pet as best they can. Right. That's awesome. I really hate to ask you this, but is there a pet insurance that you would recommend? Oh, Lord, there's many out there and they seem to be evolving and changing and um, you know, I see them in my journals pop up and every so often I see a list of what's out there and what they'll do and what they won't. But what it comes down to is the owner investigating the insurances and the different policies because right. they're so different, you know, as far as what they'll cover, what they'll help with. Some do well care visits. That helps, you know, tremendously. For sure. Um, you know, but uh, uh, the younger you get the policy, the better, because there are just like um, how we had in like human medicine, if you already have pre-existing conditions. Um, so you have an older pet that already has a problem with something, they're not going to cover that. So the sooner the better. But it is something that is so complicated and there's so many different variations and all that. It, I really can't say, oh, yeah, this one's great. This is the one I see used most often. Um, I wish I could give that kind of advice, but it's still, there's too much out there right now. Now, I don't want to steer somebody into something that is not right for them. Right, right. So to sum it up, uh, when you're visiting your veterinarian, you want to hopefully appoint a primary uh, person to interact with the vet and give the information. You want to yes. bring a list so that you yes. don't forget anything. Uh, yes. Nine times out of 10, you'll walk, as soon as you get in the car, you'll remember what you should have asked. But if you have a yes. list, that should shortcut that. If your dog is maybe a little sketchy, maybe a little moody, let the veterinarian and the staff know so that they can make accommodations. Uh, definitely alert them if there's been a biting incident and remember that this is uh, a partnership between you and your vet to heal your dog and keep your pet well. So 
follow their instructions if they give you a protocol for treatment. Yeah, Penny, before you go, um, I wanted to ask you, we're looking at some the big holidays coming up here. It's fourth quarter. Um, do you have some advice for pet owners to keep everybody safe during these festivities? If I were to boil it down into one major point is please do not feed your pet holiday food. Um, the feeding table food has its risks anyway. But when you get the richness of the holiday food and then you have this, you know, visitors coming over and the dog begging, you know, and everything. And we, unfortunately, as a profession, when we see holidays that are coming, we expect to see really, really sick dogs, usually because of inflammation of the pancreas or pancreatitis, which can be very serious and be very costly in trying to help get settled down and, and try to get them back to health. So it's just better not to feed the dog people food. Right, right. And and kind of like enforcing that with your family and friends who might be at the table by saying you're picking up the vet bill of something else. Exactly. <laughs> I've, I've actually had some clients say that, you know, when we're yeah. looking at their pet because they didn't do it, but, you know, um, they knew something like that had happened because it was, it'd be within usually 24 to 72 hours after the event that we see these sick dogs. So sad and so preventable. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Well, Penny Claus, Dr. Penny Claus, thank you so much for joining us. It's been very helpful and informative, and we hope to talk to you again someday soon. That'd be wonderful, and thank you again for inviting me. It was good talking with you. Thanks. This has been the Rover Reporter. Thank you.